church. Great to see you. Welcome. So glad you're here. And if you're joining us online, welcome to you. And God bless you for being with us. Uh, it took some, took some courage this morning, right, to get up and come on in. So thanks for doing that. Weren't the baptisms beautiful? Wasn't that a great thing? You could clap for that. That's so good. That's, uh, that's why we're in business right there. So that's a good sign. I know you celebrate with all of these individuals and families. What a beautiful expression of faith. So grateful to God for this uh, wonderful example. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, online services. Uh, It's come just uh, rather clear to us that we need to probably suspend our on-campus services going forward for a while. Uh, I know that if you're here in the room right now, that's probably disappointing to you because you've been coming or feel safe in our environment here, and we have tried really hard to be safe, and over these many, many weeks we've been meeting on campus, to our our knowledge, we haven't had any uh, outbreaks of coronavirus, and so that's that's good, Uh, but the circumstances in the wider culture now are indicating it's probably prudent and wise to suspend services, so we're going to do that uh, beginning next week and through the end of the year. So last week in November and all the way through December, we will be meeting online only, and I think that's probably the best, uh, best thing to do. Now, I, to hear that news, you're disappointed, perhaps, some of you and others of you are thinking that's a wise and prudent thing to do. Uh, I, I want you to know that personally, I don't like it. I don't like backing up, and for any reason, and it feels like that to me, but it's probably best, and so we will... Uh, we will suspend our on-campus activities uh, beginning next weekend and through the end of the year. So thanks for your sensitivity to that, and I know you understand. And of course, we'll be uh, doing all these services online. We've done that before, and, and we know how to do that well, I think. And so I hope you'll tune in, and you won't miss a beat. I'm looking forward to the Advent series around Christmas. It should be a lot of fun and uh, meaningful to your family, so I hope you'll tune in. We are, are talking about the ways that God is using our church, and, I, and this is one of the reasons I love my church, is because of the way that we extend the gospel beyond the four walls of our own buildings and into the world. And today I want to talk about unleashing the gospel uh, and how that works in our context here, and perhaps give you a bigger, wider worldview and perspective on what in the world God's doing, so it'll be encouraging and inspiring to you. So if you have your Bibles today, if you'll turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter, chapter 9, I want to read for us verses 35 to 38, 
And this is in keeping with this commission that Jesus gave us to go into all the world and offer hope through his name. And so uh, our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So thank, thank you for doing that as you're able. Here's verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues. How many of you would gone to one of his teaching? I would. I'd check that out. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. How many of you know if Jesus was here in, <laughs> in this context, we wouldn't have to fuss about COVID? Yeah. Yeah. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. May God inspire and encourage us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. You have this faith promise card in your row, and, and if you'll keep that handy, I'm going to refer to it again at the end uh, today, so thank you for doing that. I want to start by just giving you some perspective. Here's the, the number one responsibility of leadership. Now, all of you have leadership. You're the leader of a, of a fellowship circle. You're the leader in your family you're the leader in your class, you're a leader on your team, you're a leader in your business. Everyone here has leadership responsibility at some level. This is the number one responsibility of leadership. Are you ready? The number one responsibility of leadership is to define reality. In other words, communicate clearly what is going on. This is the picture. This is, this is what's real. These are the facts. And this is the perspective we need in order to make decisions, take next steps, and move forward in productive, fruitful ways. So defining reality is a huge top, top of the list responsibility of leadership. Let me give you some perspective on reality. Demographics don't lie if we have the willingness to listen to them. For example... In China right now, there are approximately 90,000 followers of Jesus, approximately, could be more, 90,000. Now watch this, almost all of them are 35 years old or younger. There's a youth movement toward Christ in China. That's the truth. In the United States right now, there are about 90,000 evangelical Christians. These are Christians defined by uh, a belief, personal belief in Jesus Christ, a recognition that the scriptures are reliable and truthful, and, and so people trying to live their lives according to the scripture in an honorable way in relationship with Jesus. Evangelicals. About 90 million of those kinds of people in the States. Now watch this. Most of them are 50 years old and older. 50 years old and older. Now, that's, a, that's the truth. That's reality. So we have to think about that. Okay, well, if most of the people who believe the Bible true and follow Jesus according to the scripture are 50 years old and older, what does that imply for the younger? Well, here's what we know. The United States is one of the fastest emerging mission fields in the world. 
as a result of this. We have emerging generations now who are essentially uh, unreached in the United States, and so the mission field grows as a result of that. The younger you are in American culture and the whiter your skin, you have these tendencies. Now, young and white, Anglo. Young and Anglo in the United States right now, the younger you are, the more likely you will be to question the knowability of truth. Now, I'm not saying this is, this is good. It's not good at all. It's just true. This is reality. So we need to see it clearly. This means a likely rejection of anything that might be described as divine or objective revelation or absolute truth. The younger you are in this culture and and the whiter your skin, the more this is real and true for you. I mentioned last week that a Barna study recently indicated that of Christian millennials and Generation Zers in our culture right now, among the believing numbers of millennials and Generation Z, about 60% of them will not return to the organized church after COVID. That's a pretty sobering statistic. There is also, watch this now, a loss of confidence in human reasoning. This is very strong. My generation, if you're 50 years old and older, this, this really isn't true of you, but the younger you are, the more this is true. The language of I think has shifted to the language of I feel, to the language now of whatever. I think this is true has shifted to I feel like this is true or not true to I don't even care. I don't even care anymore. That's pretty sobering. So again, the younger you are in the demographic in the United States, the more likely you are to have a distrust of authority, of institutions, indeed of all hierarchies, structural institutional hierarchies. This includes a deep distrust of the government, a deep distrust in in churches, in church structures, in clergy like me. So it's also a rejection of any kind of spiritual hierarchy. So more and more, the younger you are in the United States, the more you reject the whole idea of a spiritual structure, that there's an almighty God, creator God, and underneath him there there is authority, that he's sovereign, he's Lord over the, the whole created order. And so that's being held in suspicion right now. The younger the person especially if you're white, the more likely one will find a growing skepticism toward the reliability and the trustworthiness of historical narratives. So for example, if, uh, if, if you, you're sitting in a history class and you're in your public school and there is uh, someone says, you know, George Washington during the Revolutionary War took a bunch of boys and crossed the Delaware River and caught the British by surprise. There, there is an increasing tendency by young Americans to hear that story and go, I don't think so. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that happened. Really? Isn't that interesting? It, it may be puzzling to those of us who are older for someone to have a reaction like that because, as it turns out, George Washington got a bunch of boys together across the Delaware River and surprised the British back during the Revolutionary War. That actually happened. That's true. That happened. Come to terms with that if you can. 
we're all sitting here uh, with the United States Constitution uh, ha- having abdicated <laughs> from the tyranny of British rule, and we're a free, we're a free country now. It's called the revolution. We had, we had us a revolution, and George Washington was at the head of that. It actually happened. So all historical accounts. So not only, not only will a young person incline themselves to doubt some of those historical reference points, but push it all the way out to being suspicious then of who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Did St. Luke write the Gospel of Luke? Well, we don't think so. We're not even, that can't be true either. So this suspicion, skepticism, historical cynicism exists among the young. Now, on top of this, uh, we should not forget this important factor. Now, you can say, well, what's wrong with these kids? On the other hand, the world in which they have grown up in and the, and the impressions that they are receiving in this world makes it almost understandable that they would have these levels of doubt and skepticism about such things. And perhaps one of the most powerful forces influencing the younger generation is this gnawing loss of confidence in the inevitability of human progress. Most of you, if you've studied a little history, know that there was a period called the Enlightenment. This was 16th, 17th century in Europe and went all over the world. And it, and it basically promoted the idea that human beings are filled with all kinds of potential. We're, we're the most intelligent thing on the planet. And we have this capacity for innovation and creativity. And we are going to make progress. The inevitability of the, of the progress of human beings. And so that emanated all the way from the Enlightenment to this day. But the generation now in their 20s, listen to this, is the first in modern period to not end their careers, quote, better off than their parents. Now follow this. This is, this is the truth. They will have less purchasing power throughout the course of their life than their parents, less post-retirement security than their parents, and a shorter life expectancy. Does that surprise anyone? That's, that's a surprise to me, that, that young people now, 25 years old and younger, will have a shorter life expectancy than their parents. Some speculate by as much as five years. This weighs on, this weighs on, culturally weighs on, emotionally and psychologically weighs on the younger generations. If you're under 30 years old, for example, you will almost surely live to see the day when most Christians in the world are in China and India, not in the Western cultures. So these shifts in demographics, these, these realities, these truths, we need to think about these things with our eyes wide open and realize you know, it, what's happened with COVID and the social and civil unrest, political unrest in our country in this, the, the last year or so and, and, and further back, these are, these are kind of moments, aren't they, that make you wonder just how stable is the society? How stable is civilization? How, how stable are we? I mean, it, it could be that there's just a very thin veneer over civil, civilized world. And once that veneer is gone, then you have chaos. And, and, and so you're, you, you, you stop to think, what's going on? So these demographic facts are not easy to accept. So the question for us who, who believe the Bible true, who want to follow Jesus and live honorably and give, give the borders of the kingdom expansion, 
What do we do in the face of these realities? Well, let me just give you three suggestions. The first is this. We must engage in rigorous biblical instruction. I mean, if you believe the Bible true, then you ought to teach it. You ought to promote it. You ought to disseminate it. You ought to get it out there. And I happen to believe the Bible to be true. You say, well, you're just so naive. It's such such an archaic book and and just uh, has all kinds of questionable concepts in it. And I'm just not, why would a a reasonable person, a smart person actually believe the Bible? (laughs) Because Jesus believed the Bible. Now, I got a question the other day. You don't really believe. I mean, it was, it was like this. You don't really believe that, that uh, Jonah was swallowed by a big fish and stayed in the belly of a fish for three days and then got burped out on the shores of Nineveh, the Assyrian capital. You don't really believe that's a true story, do you? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question. So, pastor, do you believe that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish? burped out a few days later? Let me just answer this way. Jesus did. Jesus said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the well three days, he said, the son of man will be in the grave for three days and then come on back out. Jesus believed it. Seems okay to me. I'm all right with it. You may not be getting anything right now, but I am, God is, God, God is sitting all over me right now. I know that I've learned to discern God's presence. He's very encouraged by this. (laughs) So we must engage in rigorous biblical instruction. Uh, so each step, we've got to double down. Each step of faith from conversion to baptism to marriage to mission, there should be instruction. That's why we're doubling down on four, five, six, because we want to reach these kids a little younger and younger. We just baptized a young man today who's seven years old. You know, that, that we're lowering that threshold, lowering the threshold, because earlier is better. We know that to be true. So we want to catch these kids as early as we can. And we want to instruct them and teach them the truth of God's word and, and help them have a place to stand, you know, because there are storms out there. There's going to be wind and rain, waves crashing against your life. You have to have a place to stand. And so giving these young people a place to stand as early as possible, so important. Biblical instruction. Here's the second thing, and that is evangelism must be at the heart of the church's life. The church must regain confidence in the gospel. Confidence in the gospel and clarity concerning the good news. I shared this verse with you. I'll share it with you again this week. Acts 1.16, the apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The euangelion, it means the good news of Jesus Christ, that he descended, condescended through the ranks of angels in glory and put on an earth suit. Almighty God, think about this. The creator of heavens and earth revealed himself to us by becoming one of us. This is an amazing story that God incarnate in the flesh came here and said, you wonder what God is like? Look at me. You wonder what God thinks, what God will do, how God reacts? Here I am. 
all the way to this ultimate expression of giving his own life to satisfy the penalty of all of our sins. This is good news. See, I'm not upset that there aren't 50 ways to God or a thousand ways to God. I'm not upset about that. I'm just thankful that there's a way. God has made a way for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel. If you're looking for someone who will back away or back down or crawl into a hole when it comes to this gospel, you've come to the wrong place. I'm not ashamed. Like the famous frog in the pot of water slowly coming to a boil, this is what's happened to the church in America, slowly taking on the skepticism and the doubts of the world regarding the power of the scripture and the centrality of Jesus Christ and the message of salvation. One of the bishops of the church of our denomination, I heard from his lips to my ears not long ago, these two statements, he said them within two or three minutes of each other with equal passion. The first statement was, we can no longer expect the church to be unified around doctrine. In other words, we can't expect that the church will come together and be unified around the idea of what the Bible teaches about all these things about the reliability of the scripture, the centrality of Christ, the message of salvation. So here's a bishop in the church saying you can't rally around the basic tenets of the faith once delivered to the apostles, which has been held faithfully now for 2,000 years. We can't really get together on those anymore because there's so many people who question it, so we just have to set that aside. And then three minutes later, made this statement. You can define the church in three words, again, with equal passion. And I thought, how interesting. I'm curious to know what these three words are, how you define the church in three words. He said those three words are, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, when I heard that, I thought, you know, that is actually true. But in light of the prior statement you just made, it begs the question, Jesus, if there's no doctrine upon which we stand, upon which we agree, then, then the question must be asked, Jesus who and Lord of what exactly are we talking about? Jesus is either who he said he is or he's not. Jesus is either Lord, the preexistent co-eternal word of God and Lord of all, or he's not. Let's not, let's not pretend we can have it both ways. I'm encouraging myself right now. Let me say it as clearly as I can. Let me say it as clearly as I can. There are not multiple paths to salvation. Salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ really and truly and bodily and historically rose from the dead. And the good news of that is for the whole world. And we should be sharing it with as much vigor and passion as we possibly can. So we, evangelism must be at the heart of the church. And when evangelism is at the heart of the church, you baptize people on a regular basis. That's what happens. Now here's the third thing, and, and, and you know that we're all in on this point as well. We should plant churches. We know that new church development is the most effective way to reach people for Jesus Christ. People who are far from God, the most effective way to reach them 
is by planting new churches. It is the most strategic investment you can make in expanding the borders of the kingdom of God. There isn't a close second. We know this to be true. And so every church, every Christian, every person who wants to live honorably before God with some sense of submission to the, to the scripture and the mandate that Jesus gave us, he said, look, the harvest is everywhere. The problem is the laborers are few. We've got a big harvest potential. We don't have enough workers. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send laborers into his harvest field. And so we say, yes, Lord, here we are. Yes, Lord. See, we may not be part of a big movement right now, a great awakening in our country, in our world, but we're part of the remnant. Some, sometimes you're part of a movement in history. Other times you're part of the remnant where you, where you just hold the ground you have and also move the, move the needle a little bit. Sometimes, sometimes the borders of the kingdom expand quickly. And we're seeing that in some parts of the world, the Southern hemisphere right now, China and India, and apparently Central America, South America, where we have missionaries there. And so, and so, and so amazing things are happening, but where it's not happening, we gotta, we, we, we've, gotta, we've gotta plant the right seed and lay the right foundations for the next generation. Because one of these generations is gonna come along. I may not live to see it, but the next thing that's going to happen is a move of God. There's going to be an awakening, a spiritual awakening, and people are going to come to their senses, and they're going to return to Jesus. You watch. This is what happens in history. My prediction is that, that my hunch is that the alpha generation, these are kids who are about 10 years old and younger being born right now. I think they're going to wake up, and God's going to enlighten their heart and fill them with a passion to take the gospel, not only to this country, but the ends of the earth. That's just my prediction. That's how I read it happening. But God can do anything he wants. He can send a revival right now. He can start it right here. He can create a great awakening anytime, any place he chooses. And come, Lord Jesus. So we're going to plant new churches. So here's my, here's my admonition to you. Let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. Let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. You can sit around bemoaning the fact that these kids, you know, are wandering and lost and we're not sure they're ever going to figure it out and, and society seems to be unraveling and I don't know what's going to happen to us and, and this, this pandemic won't, won't stop, won't leave us alone. You know, what does this mean? What, what should we do? Listen, here's one thing we should do and I preached a whole sermon about the essential qualities of a person who makes it through a time like this last week. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. But here's another thing we do. Roll up our sleeves and get busy. Get busy. There's work to be done. There's opportunities in front of us. And that's exactly what we should be doing. Now, let me uh, just remind you of what we're doing in church planting because this is central to our faith promise budget, as you know. And look on the screen with me. About four years ago, I stood up and said, we're gonna plant 10 new churches in the next 10 years. Remember that vision? 10 churches in the next 10 years. I just thought that, that's a nice memory peg. We can hang on to that. Well, we're already past 10. It's been four, four years. <laughs> Praise God. One of the churches is called City Church. It's in Anderson, Indiana. Uh, Jay Harvey and his, and his wife uh, are doing a great job reaching marginalized people in Anderson. And it's a, it's a fantastic new church. And we're excited about that. 
caveat to our relationship with Jay Harvey is that Jay is also a, a right-hand man, an associate to Nick Voyevich. Nick Voyevich runs a ministry called Life Without Limbs. Maybe you can uh, remember who Nick is. He was born without arms or legs. And he is, he is a phenomenal preacher of the gospel, and he goes all over the world telling his story of God's faithfulness to him as a man living without limbs. And he has entree into schools and into corporations, and you can imagine, and into prisons. Jay Harvey writes all of the discipleship and follow-up materials for, for Nick Voyevich and his ministry, and we're in conversations with Nick right now. I just spoke with him on the phone uh, about 10 days ago, talking about ways that we can partner with Nick and his ministry in prisons to go into prisons and train church planters who are inmates in the prison and let them plant churches inside of prisons all across America. That's, that's, that's a cool idea, isn't it? Uh, Christians, organizations, churches go into prisons all the time and do Christian ministry there. And, you know, okay, our church is going in with a few guys. We're going to do a little worship service and do a Bible study in the prison. You might get eight or 10 or 12 guys to show up for those things, and that's all great. But here's what we suspect. If there's an inmate who's, who's, who's got the qualities of leadership and God's put his hand on that person to and actually start a church in prison, that there'll be hundreds of Hundreds of inmates come to this church, and it could be really revolutionary. And so that we're in the works to do that. By the way, we're going to get Nick Voyevich here at Union Chapel. We think within the next year, you can understand perhaps it's impossible to get this guy to come to your place because he's very popular. And we're going to have him here at Union Chapel, and I know you'll look forward to meeting him and talking more about that. We've also helped plant a church here in Muncie called Rising Hope. This is Mike and Kim Hewitt. They're Wesleyans, so they're first cousins of ours as Methodists, and um, there's a lot of people in Delaware County who need to know Jesus. And what is the best way to reach new people? Plant a new church. See, Union Chapel's been here for 40 years, and so we're not a new church at this point. So it's not as easy for us to reach brand new people, people far from God, as a new church is. There's all kinds of psychology around that spiritual energy around that. And the Hewitts are doing a great job, and we love them and happy to support them. Uh, in Marietta, Ohio, is Ryan and Jana Miller. They're a beautiful family. This is Pathway Church. I just spent a week in Phoenix with Ryan and Jana a week ago, and they're doing a great job with Pathway Church. Here's Ryan's vision that we've picked up with him. Ryan not only wants to plant a church in Marietta, which he's, which he's done successfully, but he wants to see life-giving churches planted all across the Midwest, across the Rust Belt, if you will, in small and medium-sized communities that don't have a life-giving church. And there are lots of little towns like that. There may, may be a, few, a church or two or a few in those towns, but they're not what we would describe as life-giving. And they're kind of they're old and tired and, and not very effective. And, and so we believe Ryan is onto something here, and we want to partner with him. He's already got a vision to plant five new churches in small towns in Ohio. So the churches we're planting, we're expecting to multiply and plant other churches. 
A few years ago, I said 10 churches in 10 years. Then the number went to 100 churches. And, and frankly, I think the churches we're planting will probably see 1,000 new churches started over the course of the next several years. I, that's real, I really think so. So my vision was only off by a decimal point or two. It's good. Uh, now our good friends down in Golfside Church in Cape Coral, this is Paul and Tia Erminger, and they're good friends. Paul served on our staff here for a handful of years, doing a great job down at Golfside. Now you need to pray for all these guys because a lot of them are meeting in movie theaters and in schools, and of course they can't do that now. So they're all on scramble, trying to be online, trying to find venues to meet in and that sort of thing. It's very difficult right now. But Paul's doing a great job. Uh, Beth and I will be in Florida in February, and I'll preach for him uh, one of those weekends. Uh, God uh, uh, has called Beth and me to, uh, as missionaries to Florida in February. And <laughs> God first said, I want you to go to Florida in August. And I said, I, I don't, that, no. But February, yeah, I can hear, I get the witness on February. <laughs> know what I mean? Yeah. Next is Clearwater Church. This is in Fort Collins, Colorado. And this is Randy and Gay Craning. Randy served on our staff here for a, over a decade. Lots of good friends here with the Cranings. And they're doing a great job in Fort Collins. We're going to use Randy's facility as a church planning conference site in 2021, if COVID allows us. And we're very excited about that. Some of you have not heard the story about this church. Randy and Gay had a small building that they operated their church out of for many years. And because of real estate values in Fort Collins, they're astronomical numbers. They sell dirt there by the square foot, not by the acre. And, and so you just get landlocked. You can't, literally, you can't afford to buy anything else. And a, and a big church in Fort Collins came on hard times. And the, and the remnant there in that big facility, 60,000 square foot facility, which you see depicted there, they prayed about this and God, God told them to give their building away. Isn't that an amazing story? And so they gave it to us. <laughs> we, think that we, we think those 17 acres and that 60,000 square foot state-of-the-art ministry campus is worth about $25 million. And they just handed it to us. Are you smiling? I can't tell you've got the mask on. I hope you're smiling. Isn't that an amazing story? So they're doing a great job. We love them so much and we're still in communication with them. Next is Soco Church. In Bentonville, Arkansas, we've come alongside Brad Hampton. Brad is an unusual leader. He is uh, he's head and shoulders above your typical leader, Christian leader. Uh, he planted Soco Church uh, about uh, two years ago now in Bentonville, and it quickly went over 1,000 people in worship. Two sites, we... we we came alongside Brad last year and, and partnered to partner with him so he could open up a second site in a movie theater. And they were worshiping 12 or 1300 when COVID hit. Of course, that couldn't go back to the movie theater and that sort of thing. But it's, Brad is a star. He's amazing. We lean on Brad a lot when it comes to online um, and, and social media strategies to reach new people. He's, he is brilliant. And we just have the highest regard uh, for Brad. In the next 10, 20 years, Brad Hampton is a name that you will hear nationally because of how effective he is as a leader. And we're, we're just thrilled to uh, be in partnership with him. He called me. He was pitiful. He called me. 
he called me uh, about a year and a half ago and he said, and he's got this young congregation. I mean, they're, they're, they're all in this category of people I was describing as reluctant to, to come into the faith. And these are the folks he's reaching. And, and his whole church then is 30 years old and younger. And so they don't have any money. And so Brad called me and said, I want to open this second venue in this movie theater. And it's going to cost this much money to do that. Could you help me? And that's when I knew I could get Brad hooked. Here's a little, a little leadership advice. If there are people that you want to be beholding to you, just do something nice for them. And I gave, we gave Brad a, a big chunk of money to help him open up his second site. Of course, immediately he starts reaching three and 400 more people and winning them to Jesus. And now, if, uh, when you call Brad Hampton and say, I need a favor for you, Brad, Brad will say, I will do anything Greg Paris asked me to do. That's exactly, that's exactly where I want him. That's fantastic because he's phenomenal. He's great. The next is the, um, a church called The Fort. This is in Casper, Wyoming, and Jim Shade. I was also with Jim in Phoenix two weeks ago for the whole week and got much better acquainted with him. He's doing a great job in Casper. Again, he was meeting in a, in a school, and now he's out. He met in a parking lot with, you know, had to drive up church for a while, and then the weather broke in Wyoming. <laughs> and so, I mean, they're on scramble. Jim's vision is to plant an online church in every state in the, in the United States. He's already planted five online churches in five different churches in states. Cool vision, cool guy, great communicator. Next is The Point. This is uh, Troy Miller in Pittsburgh. And Troy was going to launch his on-site church this fall, and because of COVID, had to launch his new church online and our goal was to have 200 people tuning in online for his opening service. And we had 200 people tune in for his first meeting. And it was all online. Isn't that fascinating? So, so Troy is developing strategies for online church and multiplying online churches uh, just out of necessity. And so he's going to become a reference point for us and for many others once he figures out how to do this. And he's, you know, learning on the job. I introduced uh, Kelly and Polly Barkle to you just a few weeks ago. They were in our services, and they are in Daytona, Florida now. They, they own a CrossFit gym, and their whole, their whole strategy is to plant a church out of a CrossFit gym. They've already done this in Valdosta, Georgia, and now we're partnering with them to help them do it in Daytona. And the, the strategy is simply this. Rather than having you know, a lot of big worship time, lots of music and all that, like we do at the beginning of our service, they'll hold the event in their CrossFit gym and, and they'll just call for a workout. So they'll have a workout. So they'll bring all these people far from God in to pump some iron for 45 minutes and then warned ahead of time. And as soon as that's over, Kelly's going to get up and lead a Bible study. They did this in Valdosta and in 10 years, they baptized over 500 people out of their CrossFit gym. How cool is that? I love that stuff. That's the kind of innovation that I'm interested in. I, li I, like, I like these cool ideas. And they're going to do it again, and we're going to help them. Um, the next is our, our Central Asian initiatives, Kazakhstan. We're not showing you any names or places here just for security reasons. But we have a team there, and they're doing a great job raising up house churches. We're so proud of them, and such a, a great story. We're also probably going to initiate... Uh, a relationship with a, with a new friend in Kyrgyzstan. So you have, to, you have to go to your map, look up Kazakhstan, go Global Earth, uh, Google, uh, 
what is that app? Anyway, get on a map, check out Kazakhstan, and then look south, you'll see Kyrgyzstan there. And these are initiatives that we want to have there as well. We just want to expand influence in Central Asia. Ah, Jesus is really happy about the whole thing. Um, next is a Mountain of Light. This is our good friends Ricardo and Perry Pardo. They've been in Ecuador now the last handful of years. Perry, Ricardo rather, was raised in Cuba and grew up in the street gangs of Cuba. When you hear Ricardo's story, you go, you did what? You've been where doing what? And Jesus got a hold of him. You know, there's a scripture that says, if you've been forgiven much, you will love much. And Ricardo is in that category. He loves Jesus and he is on fire. I, I reported when they were here, reported to you that from January to August this year in Ecuador and also in Colombia and in Mexico where they have initiatives, four, they've recorded 4,000 decisions for Jesus in those months and baptized 1,700 people, mostly out of the back of their pickup truck where they've modified the, the bed of the pickup truck and they just drive around with a bunch of water and, and baptize people. <laughs> Come on now, that's really, that's good. I like that. Finally, let me just uh, mention Nikolai and Svetlana. These are new friends who are from Pinkst, Belarus. The reason we found, we found them through a guy that we know in Sarasota who's from Russia, from Georgia, the nation of Georgia, his name is Igor, and, we're, and we think probably in the next year or two, we're going to send he and his wife named Svetlana, I guess they're all named Svetlana, um, back to Georgia to plant, start planting churches there. But in the meantime, this is Nikolai in this photograph on the, on the left there, and his wife Svetlana and Robin Wood, our associate, is there with them. The morning that Robin was going to go to Belarus uh, to dedicate their church building which you see that they've just built. Um, amazing story there. And I woke up the morning that Robin was leaving, and the first thought I had was, I want you to give Nikolai some money, which was very unusual. You know, this isn't the way it works for me typically. And I said, well, I know Robin's leaving today to go to Belarus. How much money should we give Nikolai if you want me to give Nikolai some money? And immediately this number came into my head, and it was outrageous. He, so what I thought I heard God say was, I want you to give him $10,000. I said, I, I really don't know Nikolai that well. In fact, I've never met him. Robin's met him, of course, and talks very highly of him and describes his ministry there. And, and I like him, second person. I'm sure I'll like him when I meet him. And so it was a little odd. So I talked to him. My chief counsel, you know, my, my wife, what she thought about it. She said, ah, sounds like a good idea to me. And so I called Robin that morning because I knew he was getting on a plane soon. And I said, I, I have this urge to give Nikolai some money. In fact, I, I said, I, I feel like I need to give him $10,000. Does that mean anything to you? And Robin immediately started weeping on the phone. I mean, he started crying. I mean, like, you know, snot running and everything. He was crying about this. And I said, what, what is going on? He said, Nikolai just told me that he was so disappointed. They've, they've finished construction on this building. They've been piecing it together, trying to pay, pay as they go. 
and the weather's broken in Belarus, so they can't hold the conference there like they wanted to this week, and they, they can't dedicate the building because they, they didn't have enough money to put the heat in the worship area of his building. And, and Robin said, Nikolai said, it's going to cost $10,000, and he said, I don't have $10,000. <laughs> Isn't that good? So Robin took 10,000, called ahead, hey, Nikolai, I'm bringing $10,000. <laughs> so get the heat installed in your building over the next week, and you can dedicate the building, and we'll all have the conference there, and that's exactly what they did. Isn't that fantastic? Nikolai is on fire for Jesus, and he wants to plant 40 churches across Belarus, and we're going to help him do it. We're going to help him. We're going to coach his church planters, because that's, that's what we know to do. We know how to do that. So... Those are some of the things that are in the hopper right now, and there are other things going on, doors of opportunity that I could talk about for a long, long time, but just so you can get a feel for it. So when you think faith promise and you see that line item there for church planting, these are the, these are the kinds of initiatives we're doing, and I want you to feel strongly about that. Now, if you're ready to turn this in, I know you've been thinking and praying about that. You can do that as you're leaving today. Just drop it off on the, on the table when you go out. Uh, in the meantime, take this with you. If you haven't prayed through this and ask God what an amount that you might be able to give in 2021 for our faith promise. As I mentioned last week, this, this total is way out there. That's, that's a bigger goal than we've ever set for faith promise. And it doesn't make any sense under the circumstances we're in with COVID and everything else. But doors of opportunity are opening. You, you tell me, which, which one should I say no to? You tell me, who should be cut? So this is where we are, and I know you appreciate that. So thanks for your prayers, and thanks for your support with this. And uh, let's pause now just to pray about these things. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for the encouragement that you give us to remind us that uh, we are called to be faithful. We are called to teach the Bible, believe the Bible. We're called to reach those who are far from you, who are without hope, to win them and to cause them to know you. Thank you, God, that you would go before us. And for these churches we're planting, thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy that you're promised to go before us. And we know, God, that your mission, your mission can be miraculous when we trust you. So we trust you for all the resources we need to make a difference in these opportunities. So for all these things, we lay them before you and place our trust and confidence in you. In Jesus' name, and the people said, amen. Would you stand with us?